0: turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Well, Paul in this chapter has been speaking uh, to the issue of love and liberty. And I love it when the Holy Spirit kind of connects things together. He connects the dots. And this week uh, we're celebrating our national independence, our freedom. And here we are speaking in this chapter about our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And I'll read (coughs) for you uh, chapter 14 of Romans. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have, we've got extra Bibles around. Uh, Ron, did, did, when you guys straightened up the sanctuary, did you put Bibles under the chairs? Okay. All right. Um, but if you need one, just raise your hand. We'll get you one. Verse 13. Uh, Paul writing here, he says, Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block Or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, uh, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Uh, Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us uh, pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, But it is evil for the man who eats with an offense. Uh, It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother or sister stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned not by God, but by their conscience, is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith, sin. Heavenly Father, we praise you today. <clears throat> and once again, Lord, at this time of year, as a nation, Lord, we, uh, we have our picnics. We, we go and watch the fireworks, and we celebrate our independence. Uh, and Father, we thank you. Lord, uh, we, we think of the freedom you've granted to this nation. Lord, has been unequaled in any nation of history. And Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, more so for the freedom that we have, Lord, in Christ. Lord, we realize that that is the true freedom, uh, the freedom of knowing you, the freedom being free uh, from addictions, things that would once control our lives. And Father, as we gather this morning, Lord, we pray that you would give us, Lord, insights in in a personal way. Lord, as we come to the scriptures, Lord, we realize you always have have something. Lord, uh, some truth, something that you want to uh, reveal to us. Um, And Lord, give us insight uh, regarding practical application, Lord, of these matters. Lord, uh, we want to go beyond just, Lord, having these things and agreeing with them in our thoughts. But Lord, we want to uh, be able to see, Lord, your truth at work, Lord, in a very practical way every day, Lord, within our experience, within our lives. And Lord, uh, regarding these matters, Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, to uh, to not be judgmental, Lord, uh, to not be critical, Lord, of uh, people who, uh, particularly our brothers and sisters who practice things differently than us. Uh, see things differently than us. Lord, help us, we pray, to be, Lord, uh, like you are, Lord. Uh, You're magnanimous. Lord, we thank you that you're gracious. And we know that, uh, Lord, uh, our freedom is really within the parameters of your truth. And so help us, we pray, to understand that. Help us, I pray, Father, to to grow and develop, Lord, the convictions, uh, Lord, that would line up, Lord, uh, with the Word of God, with your truth. And we realize that those convictions, Lord, will be a blessing. They will be protective, Lord, within our lives, within our families. And Lord, um, uh, Paul has been speaking here in these last few chapters, uh, Lord, just simply about loving our neighbor. And Lord, uh, we, we know that as we love you and as we attempt to implement, Lord, these things in our lives that, uh, Lord, there will be that expression of love, Lord, to those who are neighbors. And, Lord, uh, uh, our neighbors are even those that, Lord, we don't know. And, Lord, uh, as we think of our nation, we pray for our nation today. Lord, so divided. Lord, uh, so much opposition. We see violence on one hand. Lord, we see the political polarization. Lord, uh, and we know that, Lord... uh, that you can bring, Lord, peace, Lord, uh, into the hearts and lives of your people. And so we pray that, Lord, uh, we would be able to pursue peace. Lord, you've called us to be peacemakers. So help us, we pray, Lord, to to live in a way that is pleasing to you and in a way that would glorify you, Lord. And so meet with us now, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we entitled our uh, little uh, message here this morning, uh, taking it from Genesis chapter four, and it was a conversation basically between uh, Cain uh, and the Lord, and uh, the the question was, uh, "Where is your brother?" God said to Cain, and Cain had just murdered his brother, uh, and Cain responds back by saying, "Are we? Am I my brother's keeper?" Uh, so that's basically what our our what we entitled this here, and. Of course, we know that this statement, am I my brother's keeper, is sort of a, an attitude that oftentimes uh, it can it can be in the hearts of many different people uh, as we look around our culture, something deep within the heart, and, and oftentimes it comes out how that expression of how we treat our neighbor, how we treat people that uh, perhaps maybe we don't know. We all seem to love our circle of friends, our family, uh, but God wants to take us out of our comfort zone. He wants to take us beyond that circle, that limited uh, group uh, of people, uh, you know, that we so often uh, care about and do things for, and we love them and express that to them in many different ways. That He wants to take uh, us beyond that circle to reach out. Uh, and I think, you know, <clears throat> one of the greatest witnesses is just simply living our lives in such a way, not just to those that we love, uh, but God calls us to reach out and to, to be, you know, a, a, a friend, a neighbor. Uh, and to care about somebody in that kind of way. And, of course, the answer to this question, you know, am I my brother's keeper, is an absolute yes. And I think who demonstrated that the greatest of all was the Lord Jesus. Um, he really knew how to love people. And, of course, he answered all the questions that we have about, you know, how do we love? You know, how do we reach out to our neighbor? How do we minister to those that, you know? I think one of the things, too, that, you know, talking about, the, one of the things we've been talking about in this chapter is about how easy it is. And it's, it's, it's human nature. to be judgmental. You know, sometimes that can happen uh, within, uh, you know, Christian circles, uh, you know, a self-righteous kind of attitude kind of thing. But we see it. It's really endemic to human nature, you know, judging people, assessing people. And there's something about our human nature. We tend to judge people that are simply different than us. They're different than us. They may do things different than us. Uh, you You may move within different Christian circles, and you find that within this or that other church, Um, You know, they do things differently, and I think we have to be very careful uh, about how we, you know, look at some of these things. And and as Paul opened up this chapter, he's not speaking about deep theological things here. He refers to them as doubtful things, and he's talking about some of the things that Christians practice. Uh, And so as we, again, know different Christians, move within different circles, we're going to find that people practice in a, you know, practice... Uh, what they believe relative to their convictions in a different way. And Paul is telling us in this particular chapter how we're to handle that, that we're really to handle that in a loving way, in a gracious way, Um, that we have a wonderful freedom, you know, in our practices. But we have to be very careful also, too, that in our freedom, that we don't weaken somebody else, that we don't stumble somebody else, that we don't offend somebody else. Um, I I would say if we would take a survey this morning about regarding one particular issue, um, that there would be many different responses. People would handle things differently. One of the things that I was sharing in first service, I remember uh, in a pastoral meeting, Pastor Chuck Smith shared this uh, with a group of pastors because he he never preached it, and he never would preach it, uh, but because of his convictions that from a child and, and to the day he died, he would never darken the door of a movie theater. It was just a personal conviction he had. And I can remember him saying that, he said, I couldn't imagine myself being in a movie theater and the Lord came and I was caught in that situation. Uh, and of course, that's, that's one of those doubtful things. It's not, it's not a sin uh, to go into a movie theater, uh, but perhaps maybe even regarding certain things that we watch. You're going to find that the Holy Spirit's going to tell you in an individual kind of way, there are certain things that you can watch. I remember one time, uh, <laughs> um, many years ago, we were invited some, you know, uh, by some friends out of state to, to visit with them in their home. Uh, they had been, they had lived locally, and uh, uh, had come to uh, to know them very well. And so uh, we we went to their home and they said, "Hey, let's watch a movie." And uh, the, we started watching this movie, and uh, the movie was just like filled with the f bombs. And Margie and I were sitting there going. And they didn't even flinch. And we did not want to offend them. We didn't want to offend them because it was their house and they were our host. And they were very gracious and loving people. Um, but that was, that was something that's just like, ooh, you know, I don't have to watch something like that every night while we're here, you know, kind of a thing. But again, these are some of the differences that we can have, you know, as believers um, and we have to be very careful how we handle, you know, one, an, one another, you know, with those particular matters. So he starts out, we're going to pick us up where we left off last week, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this that not, a, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So uh, he's speaking about here the danger, I think, of maybe perhaps being hypercritical uh, about doubtful issues, okay? It's different when we have to address a theological issue, and we talked about this last week, are we allowed to judge anything? Well, of course we are. We have to make assessments. Uh, for instance, that as a pastor in a ministry, if I know that there's somebody in the church and there's some kind of... Um, deep, sinful thing going on, and they're flaunting that kind of thing, that has to be addressed. So you, you have to make an, a, a, a judgment, so to speak, you know, regarding that. It has to be addressed, and of course, it has to be addressed uh, in the proper, in in, in the right way uh, type of thing. But here, Paul speaking about these doubtful kinds of issues um, that, uh, again, you may have very strong issues about certain things, very, you know, very strong view about certain things, and uh, you're going to run into people that uh, uh, are very different from you. And uh, we need to be able to handle that in, a, in, in the right kind of way. And so regarding this area of judging people, being harsh in that sense, and uh, censorious and, and, and hypercritical, um, that's gone. Remember, Paul said, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the point he's making. God's going to take care of that. God's going to straighten out, the, you know, you're you know, um, we have to be very careful that uh, we don't feel a personal call to play the role of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, sticking our nose into everybody's life and telling it this, that, or the other thing is wrong. I think we have to be very careful about that. Um, and then here, the, the context is <clears throat> uh, basically our liberty, our freedom regarding these areas, and Paul uses that as an illustration. Uses that as an illustration, eating and drinking, because food and drink was a big thing uh, in the early church. Because it was, it was a group of there, these were Christians that were coming out of a pagan lifestyle. Uh, they had, they were eating uh, food that had been sacrificed in idol in idol temples. Because uh, after it was sacrificed in a fresh way in an idol's temple, right away it would go into the meat markets. You know, either that day or a day later, and people would buy it. And again, people who, perhaps who had worshipped. Uh, in that context, uh, in a pagan situation, maybe they, maybe you know, they felt stumbled. I can't eat that meat; uh, that stumbles me. Uh, maybe, perhaps, thinking that uh, the meat was demon possessed or something of that particular nature. Um, and of course, there were Jews, and the Jews had their dietary. Uh, regulations in the early church was comprised almost probably perhaps initially, uh, you know, a higher percentage of Jews and even was uh, uh, Gentiles. But eventually, as the gospel reached the the, the Gentile world, uh, in time that would be basically reversed. But early on, there was this big issue of eating and drinking, and how perhaps maybe if I took my liberty too free, how that could affect our impact, or stumble, somebody else because maybe they're looking at me. Uh, and like, for instance, uh, one of the issues oftentimes regarding the matter of drinking. The Bible doesn't say you cannot have a drink, okay? The Bible says you shouldn't be drunk. But if I'm going to take a drink, I have to be very careful, uh, I, I, and, and I don't. I've I made a personal decision uh, relative to that. Um, but if I take a drink and somebody that is... Maybe sh- had sh- a struggle with alcoholism. If they, if they're watching me, I could stumble them. And so we have to be very careful about these kinds of things. That we don't, you know, do, well, I got my liberty. Don't tell me what to do. You know, kind of thing. Sometimes, you know, people, you know, when it comes to our liberty in Christ, sometimes we take, you know, that as a simply a bill of rights that I can kind of do whatever I want to do. But one of the things regarding this whole matter of freedom, we find. Uh, that when you take, you know, uh, freedom has a limitation. Uh, If you have absolute, you know, freedoms, you can have anarchy. It's interesting in America, we so celebrate freedom, but you notice how people with freedom can take freedom and destroy their lives? We see so much devastation because people, you know, oh, I have my freedom, I can do this, I can do that. And there are certain things that even our government will allow us to do. Uh, But we realize if I partake of that, that can that can hurt me, that can stumble me, that can even impact other people, you know, you know, in my in in, in my particular situation in my life. But I think also to this matter, it extends to other matters. This this area of liberty extends to other matters regarding Christian freedom and Christian liberty. He says, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean of himself. Now he's referring here to food, okay? We have to understand that. It's not referring to any kind of behavior, all right? You know, just carte blanche, you know, everything's unclean, everything's clean in itself. No, he's talking about food. And remember, if you remember the vision that Peter had, uh, what's it in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 10, it might be, uh, roughly around there. And again, Peter being an Orthodox, a kosher Jew, he has this vision, um, and, the, and these, these unclean animals are let down in a sheet. Uh, And God says to Peter in that vision, Peter, rise and eat. Now, that was a very difficult thing, you know, for a Jew to move out of that, what the the things that were kosher, the things that were acceptable. That had to be a difficult challenge initially for Paul, uh, you know, to break away from that. Uh, I think I told the story to one of the groups uh, um, a couple weeks ago regarding some, uh, a Jewish friend of ours, his parents came to visit him. And they were in our house and we had dinner. And uh, Margie made lasagna, and uh, the the my friend's father, Herb Herb Rosenberg, <laughs> um, is eating this, and he's saying, "Oh, this is really good. This is good. What's in it?" And uh, and that was the end of his meal because he found out pork was in it, and and uh, Margie felt bad about that, of course, and he didn't mean to, but he was he that even though he wasn't a super orthodox Jew, he still had that. Uh, you know, that food regulation within his thinking. These are hard things oftentimes. You know, I see sometimes people that come out of religious cults, and it can be very hard and difficult for them uh, to break away from certain traditions, certain things that they have practiced. Um, And so, again, we have all these different, in in the early church, we had all these, you know, different backgrounds. I've known people uh, coming out of Mormonism, I've known people coming out of Seventh-day Adventism uh, regarding, you know, they have a lot of food regulations, b- biblical dietary things of that particular nature, um, and it's very difficult then for them, uh, having been such an adherent, you know, to that, you know, for, a, for maybe a protracted period in their life, it's very hard for them to make those kinds of adjust, adjustments and to feel free, you know, in Christ. And again, that's something, that's something that the Holy Spirit has to do. That's something that God has to do, you know, within our within our lives. Just like when you first get saved, when you first get saved, there's all kinds of things, practices that you had, you know, in your life. But I think it becomes all the doubly hard when you think it's a religious duty, when you think it's you know some kind of religious. I think it's easy in one sense for us easier to break away from the old habits of the old life, uh, but but when we all of a sudden come into a place where God is freeing us from some kind of religious. Regulation that we once had you know upon our life, and all of a sudden uh, we're feeling free um, you know in our thinking about it because God's spoken to us in the scriptures about it, but all the but you know in our practice it's a different thing you know letting go um, <clears throat> of that thing, and so we find that that's the case that paul is is dealing with here, but also too there's principles that apply uh, to us as well again here when he says, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him or to her it is unclean. So I think this statement here has tremendous personal application. Uh, because if you, know, if, if you feel, uh, if you have a certain conviction about certain activities, uh, that if you practice them, it would be wrong for you to do that. And I would say to that, and I think that's what Paul is saying here, you need to obey that. You need to obey that conviction that you have within your life. And you need to obey it in such a way that you don't condemn other people for practicing it. I knew knew some Christians. They would not celebrate Christmas. Wouldn't have a Christmas tree. Wouldn't celebrate at all because they, you know, it had some type of pagan connection. And it just they 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 struggled with that. But it would be wrong for that person to judge other people or condemn other people that have a Christmas tree and celebrate Christmas in that kind of way. And I say that I say that because that was my, my that was my conviction at one time. And and it was unfortunate because, you know, my poor wife and kids, they all wanted a Christmas tree and and, and we celebrated it in other ways, but we didn't, you know, we didn't go through all the trappings and the trimmings and the tree and all that. And, and then somebody one time just came, just dropped a f- tree off at our house on the porch. <laughs> and I said, okay, oh, Lord. And, uh, and that was just part of the way that the Lord was just sort of freeing me and changing, you know, changing my view re- regarding that particular matter. And again, we can all hold these little views you know about things of that particular nature. Uh, that uh, uh, if we have a conviction, well, be true to your conviction, but don't don't force it on others, uh, and don't condemn others if they don't see it the way that you see that. Um, that we're going to we're going to experience those kinds of things in the in our Christian uh, circles. Now he returns in in verse fifteen. Uh, and he's been talking about this ever since uh, chapter 13, this whole principle of love. But I think being older and wiser now in Christ, we need to be careful about our freedom. We need to be very careful about this whole matter of freedom. Um, because the thing is, our freedom, your freedom, the well-being of others is at stake. You know, how people around us, you know, uh, you know how we handle and the things that we practice. Um, that it could stumble somebody, it could hurt somebody, it could injure their faith. You know, one of the things, when you think about faith, it's a very fragile thing. Yes, faith can be robust. It can, it can withstand incredible pressures and trials uh, and crises. But also, too, you know, as I understand faith and as I look at it in my own life and the life of many people, it's a very fragile thing. And it's particularly fragile, I think, when somebody is, is, is newly born again in Christ. If if they're a young person in Christ, I think faith is a very fragile kind of thing because it's important. Our example, our example is very important. Our example of living for Christ transcends our words. Because sometimes we may find that we're not walking, you know, we're not really walking the talk that we've been talking and our example is very important regarding these particular things. You know, I think to me it's been illustrated many times. I've seen over the years with Christian parents in this whole matter of drinking liquor. And again, like I said earlier on, you have a, you, you have a freedom to have a drink if you want one. If I were to say differently, I would, I would be saying something the Bible didn't say. The Bible does say, you should not be be drunk. But I think sometimes parents, and particularly even Christian parents and parents in general, I think that as far as the impact of that on their family, on their children, is unwitting and inadvertent. But sometimes it just can can bring ruin to their children's lives. I grew up in an alcoholic family. Uh, I saw alcoholism at its worst. And I know where it can lead, the damage it can do. It can be very devastating. And I think, particularly as Christian parents, we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of our example. Yes, I may be able to have a drink, but my son may be, or my daughter watching me, may have just a certain proclivity toward alcoholism. Because the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak, the flesh is compulsive. And so I need to make, it's important to make that consideration because the faith of others, the lives of others are at stake. And and of course, as Americans, we apprise freedom. We, We appreciate the freedom that we have as we just again celebrated it this week. But I think also, too, that we need to be very careful of that because sometimes freedom can just sort of, goes, it goes, it crosses a line. And, and many people exercising their freedom have brought themselves into some form of slavery, some form of bondage, some form of addiction. You know, I was thinking about some of the, you know, we, again, we celebrate our freedom. Uh, in America in a cultural kind of a way, um, you know, which, is, which is important to be, you know, and I thank God you know, for the freedom I have, but I realize that my freedom has restrictions. My, my freedom in Jesus Christ, it has a restriction, and when I take it without, outside of those parameters, it can be damaging. And I was thinking about some of the cultural movements, and, and for instance, I was thinking about the, the LGBTQ movement, and, I, and, and when you go back to the, like, to the 80s, the 1980s, uh, they were basically looking for recognition um, and, and protection. I, I think it's tragic that, that that those people are getting beat up. I think that's wrong. I think they had, need to have their freedom to be what they want to be. And I can remember back in the 90s, it was basically, if you remember back then, it was is a freedom for civil unions uh, because of, you know... Uh, uh, health insurance and economic issues and that sort of thing. And, of course, we remember the landmark decision of the su- Supreme Court uh, just a few years ago. But I think also, too, that the fr- that freedom has been taken a little too far. I think when when, um, someone, when when someone of another gender wants to go into the locker room of my daughter or into the bathroom where my daughter goes, I have a struggle with that. I, I think when a, when, a, when, when a person who is a biological male wants to identify with the feminine gender and he wants to compete on the field uh, with women, I think it's, it's, it, that freedom's gone too far. I have a struggle of recently, of late, of uh, the homosexual community uh, going in to libraries, and having drag queen uh, hours. Because it's just trying to indoctrinate you. Let's let's, let's not kid ourselves here. And I have a problem there, too, because fine, that's their decision if they want to live like that. But because you and I have a biblical viewpoint of that, it doesn't make me a hater. It doesn't make us haters because we disagree with that. And I think, again, that's an example of these cultural freedoms that have gone a little too far. I believe in live and let live. Fine, you wouldn't live like that. That's that's your life. But if I don't agree, don't try to force your conviction on me because I disagree with that particular thing. So taking it out of the church and taking it into the culture—that's how sometimes freedoms, I think, can be foisted um, and forced on other people. uh, That if you don't, again, if you don't agree with them, all of a sudden they start, you know, using epithets and and, and hate hate terms. Um, You know, as I know Christianity, uh, there's never been anyone as 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 um, reaching out you know, across the aisle, so to speak, to, to homosexuality, like the church. We have entire ministries uh, that are, you know, reaching out uh, to the gay community. And again, it's even there's even laws in Canada, and there's law, I think there's some laws in certain states now, that if you're a parent, this is where freedom's gone too far, if you're a parent and you're, your son or your daughter uh, is in a place of gender confusion and they want to basically line up with the other gender, if you try to talk them out of it, it's a crime. It's against the law. That's too far, my friends. Okay, enough of that. Let's move over to verse 16. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, some people say that that the kingdom of God is now This is not the kingdom of God now, folks, I want to tell you, okay? Uh, You've heard of it, kingdom now theology, but it's a misunderstanding of Bible prophecy. Uh, You know when the kingdom is when Jesus comes? That's when the kingdom is going to be, when Jesus comes. But you know right now it's a mystery kingdom? It's a mystery kingdom, and it's when the king comes into your heart. That's when all of a sudden the kingdom of God is living in you. Um, Again, uh if this, is the, if this is Christ's kingdom right now, we're in trouble. We're in serious trouble when you think about all the things that are going on in the world today. But he is coming. And I'll tell you what, when you look at the world today, um, our hopes and aspiration is with John the Apostle when he said, even so come quickly, uh, Lord Jesus. But I think here what he's saying, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but, uh, but righteousness. Uh, it's an eternal kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. Uh, Our our focus is not to be an external kind of a focus. Um, And, of course, uh, religion sometimes becomes that. Uh, It can become, you know, well, you know, if you guys were really good Christians, um, you'd be dressed up the right way. You'd have your suits on, and ladies, you have all your dresses on today. And sometimes the church at times has gotten caught up into that. Um, And it's become an exclusive kind of club. Uh, You can't come to church unless, you know, know, men, uh, and and there are certain groups like that. Men, your hair needs to be over your ear, okay, and uh, not in a bun. (laughs) Um, And and, and again, putting focus on that kind of stuff, and and all you do is exclude people from hearing the good news. You know, uh, Jesus' hair wasn't over his ears, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's not about what you wear, it's about what's in your heart. It's about what's in our heart and what's in our mind. And it's a righteousness you know, that comes from him. It's not a righteousness that we can accrue on ourselves. We can we, can, we can't we can't you can't buy it. You can't uh, acquire it. Uh, It comes from Him. It's a gift that comes from Him. And man, you remember when you first came to Christ, remember that peace that just took over your soul. There's a peace. The Bible refers to it as peace like a river. You know, when it comes into your life, when it comes into your heart, there's a peace and there's a joy. And, And you can have a joy and a peace even in the midst of struggles and trials and difficulties in your life. And that's a God thing. You can't buy that. There are some people that they have no reason to worry because they've got everything taken care of in this world. And you know something? They're full of worries and anxieties. And yet here's the person over here. Here's the person over here who has nothing. And man, they got Jesus, though. You know, my, my, my nephew is in jail and he's about to get out down in Pennsylvania. And, and he's, got, he's got nothing. He's got nothing. He's got nothing to come home for, or to come home to. But when he writes to me, his letters are so filled with joy of the Lord. And and you know, the thing is, isn't it interesting, you know, David said this, my expectation is of the Lord. And, And part of, you know, God's work in our life is to give us a certain expectation, even though we may not have a dollar in our pocket. We don't know what, you know, we don't know what we're going to be eating tomorrow. And, you know, it's inexplicable. It's inexplicable what God does, you know, within our hearts, within our life, because he's resident. He's present in our life. And, and when that's happening, man, there's a peace that he gives you. You can't, you can't buy that. It's, it's, it's heavenly. It's unearthly. And I, and I ask you this morning, Do you have it? Or maybe, let me ask you, when's the last time you did have it? Maybe you need to get back to, you know, Paul speaks about the simplicity in Christ. You know, there's a beautiful simplicity that we have in our Savior. And it's not about what we accumulate. Uh, It's not about our, you know, acquisitions. It's not about what we have in the bank. It's not about, oh, I got to, you know. And I've sometimes talked to people that they've got a great retirement plan but their life is just fraught with all kinds of anxiety and worry. They can have hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars in the bank, and they're worrying about the collapse of the economy. Oh, yeah, I know it's there. But what about if, you know, what about if this happens? What about if that happens? Man, we need Jesus. We need him to be the focal point. We need to get back to that as a beautiful simplicity. Because that's the nature of this world. Worry, concern, fear. We'll get, he will give us peace like a river. Now he says in verse 18, <clears throat> he who serves Christ, in these things is acceptable to God. Remember, what Paul said, "We make it our aim to be pleasing to Him." That was Paul's aim, and he was saying that needs to be our aim. That that we need to be just sort of pleasing to Him. You know, Lord, what's your agenda for my life, Lord? Lord, what do you have for me? Margie was reading a story to me this morning, um, a book by the author is Batterson. I forget his first name, but. Um, is called The Grave Robber. Maybe some of you read it. I picked it up in, in, in Ollie's. And um, Anyway, she told me one of the little uh, excerpts, one of the little stories out of it. She said there was this Christian guy. Um, he was taking a flight um, to Vegas from somewhere out east here. And uh, he gets on the plane, and, and uh, there's an empty seat between him and this young gal. And so he, uh, he uh, kind of uh, reaches out with some welcoming uh, kind of, um, you know, hello, how you doing? Uh, where are you from? And he says, the look she gave me when I tried to engage her in a conversation was, I don't want to talk to you for this entire flight, so please leave me alone. But he's sitting there, and he's saying, you know what? He said, the Lord just kept telling me I need to talk to this young girl. And so he finally gets up the nerve, and he says, uh, Miss. Um, I really feel that you have a heavy burden on your life, a- and I know I'm a stranger. But if in somehow you, you want to talk to me, and and unloaden- just unladen yourself your burden, I'm here to talk to you. And all of a sudden, God, that broke the ice, and the story came out. She had gotten pregnant uh, from her boyfriend and she has stole her father's credit card, and she took this flight uh, from Washington, D.C., or wherever it was, and she's going to go to, to a Vegas, and she's going to have an abortion. And as they talk, God works in her heart. She changes her mind. When she gets to Vegas, she calls up her parents. And... Um, Our parents say to her, honey, we want you to come home. We're going to love you, and we're going to love your baby. And I just love how God has a way of just, you know, working, um, you know, in in situations because those kind of stories are all around us. There there are people hurting all over the place, carrying some kind of burden, some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of trial in their life that there's no resolution whether it's a believer and but oftentimes it's the unbeliever and sometimes you know you've ever been in public and just see somebody and you get to see that there's just like a heaviness on them and, and it's happened to me so many times and I say Lord just please give me the boldness to walk up to them and to say something for goodness sakes kind of a thing because I think a lot of times regarding that kind of thought we're just so timid because what if I walk up and say something and I look like a total idiot? Well, God knows I'm a total idiot anyway, so um, no problem letting a few other people know that. But I, I think when it comes to those kind of things, we have all, you know, we, we have all kinds of reservations. Uh, we get intimidated, but i tell you what, there's, there's, there's folks all around us that have got tremendous needs. You know, he says he who serves he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God. You know, in our serving others, and that's one of the things that I that that God continually, I think, brings us back to, to this whole idea of being other centered. Other centered. And even to go beyond our circle, our family, because that's our comfort zone. We can love those people because we we know them. We know we we know their history. But to go beyond that, because in serving others, we're serving Him. What What did our Lord do His entire life? The whole gospel is what? He's ministering to people. Here's God Almighty in the flesh, on the earth, day after day, just ministering and serving other people. I'll tell you what, here's the secret to absolute, utter misery. Focus on yourself and here here's here's a little test go home today and spend about an hour looking in the mirror at yourself you'll be miserable you'll be totally miserable because you'll see all these little imperfections and all these other things and and life is like that the more we focus on ourselves it's like a self-inflicted kind of misery but there's something beautiful when the lord gets when, when we become just a conduit through which god wants to minister and reach out and touch the lives of other people. All of a sudden, life has meaning. Life has purpose. Now, he says something also in verse 18. He says, not only acceptable to God, but approved by men. I once knew a fellow who was in ministry, and he had a very careless attitude about what other people thought and that careless attitude about what other people thought got him into trouble a number of times and sometimes big trouble because here's a balance here there's a balance of yes i want to be acceptable in my life and what i do you know for god but you know what there's a there's a time that the opinions of other people matter Because so often God uses other people sometimes to get us on track, to speak truth into our lives. And you know what? We need that. No man is an island. And and the fact is we're a body. (laughs) The the scripture refers to us as a body. And you know, we're all different. We have different functions. We're like different organs. But we need one another. I think even, even to a degree the culture realizes that. Because that's the way God created us. We, we need one another. And I think I think the culture overall has gotten basically more self-centered. Uh, I grew up in the, in the 50s and 60s when neighbors helped one another. When's the last time you went over to your neighbor and borrowed a cup full of milk or a cup full of sugar? When's the last time you did that? I can remember just all the time, Mom, do I have to go over and ask again? You know, kind of a thing. It's a different culture. It's it's a more self-centered, you know, people are isolated. You know, people are alone. And how by the grace of God, you know, we need to break through that. We need to reach out. Anyway, therefore, let us pursue the things that make for peace and the things by which one may edify another now he uses kind of strong language here in verse 20 but this is again in our relationship one with one another i i wouldn't maybe use that language paul but paul obviously is necessary do not destroy the work of god for the sake of food so what he's saying here basically is it's important um don't be insensitive because it can crush someone else's faith It, it can mess up the work of god in their life All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine. Now, notice here, the anything, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Now, the anything here, I think, is any activity that can hurt, weaken, and damage another person's faith. That's the anything. So, it goes beyond food and drink. It goes beyond those things, and it could be some kind of practice, and and I don't even know what to, I don't want to even qualify it. But I think that the Holy Spirit will guide us in these matters, and that's why He will say to you and me, has the Lord ever said this to you? I don't want you doing that, or maybe I don't want you doing that anymore. And, and And it's part of His sanctifying work in our lives making us more and more. And, and, and here's what happens is when the Holy Spirit kind of puts his finger upon something in your life like that, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Well, they're doing it. No, that's not the issue. Other people can do certain things. Other Christians can, can do certain things that it may be allowable for them. But if the Lord is putting that, putting his finger or his spotlight on that area, that issue in your life, he's protecting us. See, he's the perfect father. He's the perfect parent. He knows each one of our vulnerabilities. He knows each one of our weaknesses. He knows our tendency, our proclivities. He knows, he understands you and me thoroughly. And if he, And if he prohibits us from doing something, we need to cooperate with that. Just obey it. doesn't matter what other people do. Whether he permits them to do things that he prohibits you to do. You'll be, you'll be tremendously more happy. Now we want to wrap these uh, the last two verses up here. I like what he says here. Do you have faith? Well, have it to yourself before God. <laughs> I think what he's saying here is don't fault and brag about your freedom. happy is he or she who does not condemn himself in, in the thing that he approves. Now, my freedom, I think, depends on certain things. and I wrote down three of them. First of all, my freedom depends on does it violate a, a biblical standard? Does it, does it violate a biblical truth? That's why it's important to know the Bible. Secondly, does my conscience and convictions approve of it? In other words, is that, is that inner agreement? Yeah, I can do that. But no problem. Need to be true to that. But no, also know this that convictions for you and I are developed as a result of our understanding of the Bible. Amen? That, that's where we develop our convictions. And thirdly, Will my actions and will my freedom weaken and stumble another believer, another person? So I think that's a good rule of thumb, those three things, to to ask ourselves and to regulate our freedom by that. I believe God will honor that. Now, verse 23 But he who doubts is condemned of deeds. Now, when he says this, he's not talking about God's condemning you. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying is that we feel, feel condemned by our own conscience because we have these doubts. Well, maybe I shouldn't have done it. And it's interesting, too, because I think sometimes when we have crossed that line that we have felt that sense of condemnation, that sense of guilt. Oh, why did I do that? I, I got pressured into it. You know that peer pressure sometimes. Does that ever happen to you about something? You know, why didn't I say something? Why didn't I? You know, why did I do it? Why did I cave in? If you have those doubts and those struggles, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. In other words, whatever we practice, whatever do, we need to do it. You know, with with a sense of conviction and faith. Yeah, yeah, it's it's okay for me to go to movies. And what for whatever is not from faith is sin. So there are certain things that your conscience is not going to allow you to do. And there are other things that your conscience is going to allow you to do. God will guide you. I have discovered something interesting. That even as a new believer when I didn't really know much of the Bible, I found the Holy Spirit interestingly, wonderfully guiding me. And then later I discovered as I knew the Bible, wow, Lord, you are guiding me and leading me even though I didn't know that verse. I didn't, under, I didn't know that was in the Bible. So to be you know, true and yield it, to the Spirit of God is a beautiful thing. I want to read to you in closing. Because this, you know, when you look at verse 23 here, th- that's a different definition for sin, isn't it? Whatever's not of faith is sin. You know, a lot of times it's kind of a, you know, what we would call a black and white issue. Well, we know what sin is. You know, murder somebody. Do this, and yeah, that's sin. But this is kind of an interesting definition here. That Paul brings to us because it necessitates a sensitivity, you know, to the Spirit of God and to the Word of God and to those convictions that He has placed within our life. Listen to what the author says, and I, I will. I will. I'm closing with this. Paul concludes verse twenty two and twenty three by drawing a distinction between belief and behavior. That is between private conviction and public behavior. And so he writes as regards the private sphere, whatever you believe about these things, whether you are strong and believe you can eat everything, or weak and believe you cannot, keep between yourself and God. The author goes on to say, keep it secret. I like that. There is no need either to parade your views or impose them on other people. For as public behavior, there are two opinions represented by two men whom we quickly recognize as strong and weak Christians, respectively. The strong Christian is blessed because his conscience approves of eating everything so that he can follow his conscience without any guilt feelings. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself and what he approves. That's verse 22, but the man who has doubts, that is, the weak, we Christian, who is plagued with misgivings because his conscience gives him vacillating signals, is condemned even if he eats or partakes. Probably because of his conscience, but he's not condemned by God. Because his eating is not from faith, his partaking is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith or from that conviction is sin. This final epigram exalts the significance of our conscience. Although, as we have seen, it is not infallible. It is nevertheless sacrosanct, so that to go against it is to act not from faith, but is to sin. And at the same time, alongside this explicit instruction that not to violate our conscience, it is also an implicit requirement to educate it. And that's what we're doing here this morning. We're educating our conscience developing those convictions as the Spirit of God speaks His truth into our hearts and lives. Amen. Father, we praise You. We thank You, Lord, that You're a a true guide. And Lord, Your guidance, Lord, Your counsel, You're working in our lives, fashioning deep within our hearts. Lord, convictions, Lord, attitudes, Lord, a certain disposition to allow things or to not allow things within our lives. Lord, sometimes we struggle with that, but, Lord, we know at the end of the day that your work is always good toward us. You're a good God. You're gracious. You're kind. You're magnanimous, and your work toward us, Lord, is perfecti- protective and preventative. So, Father, I pray for us. I pray for us, your people. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. You know our weaknesses. You know our struggles. You know the things that, Lord, perhaps maybe we may find ourselves quick to judge. or Lord, to defend our right to do this, that, or the other thing. Lord, help us, we pray, to see it your way. Help us to be flexible. Help us, Lord, we pray, to just grow in grace and knowledge. Lord, we know as knowing you better, Lord, we'll know how to behave better. We want to glorify you. We want to do all things that are pleasing to you.